And sometimes it takes it to another level where it's just based, just kind of just teasing them. So I just feel like um, right now the state of where women are most acceptable. another episode episode 13 the conversations with friends and tonight um myself and the in the co-host we believe that we're talking we're going to discuss a very touchy sub- subject but it isn't too it isn't too touchy if you're willing to discuss it and um express differences and respect everybody's beliefs and opinions and thoughts about it and we know that one show cannot cover this sensitive but important topic topic tonight is religion in the black community we have a lot of storm is the show creator co-host we have elliot who has contributed to the show has been on the show a couple times uh elliot is a poet elliot is a school teacher and elliot is a pillar in our community and we have minister harris um who is who I would say he may not say it, even though he has minister in his title, he is our theologian on the show. Um, somebody who has studied at Temple University, and uh, he's going to bring us a very not just, unique not just perspective. Temple, but Yale, a graduate of Yale University, also. Oh, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> nah, it's all good, brother. We don't get caught up in the titles. <laughs> and I know that um, his perspective, um, being someone who one on the higher studies in theology and being uh, what we would consider a younger black person is going to be very interesting. Um, I know my co-host, he basically told me that he has very good, very, very good thoughts. I had the opportunity to listen to one of his podcasts for about 10, 15 minutes because I like to do a lot of background on people, like I'm an investigative reporter or something. But without further ado, religion in the black community, you guys. Um, Melodic, would you like to start us off? Oh, okay. So, first, I would like um, I would like to give just some information that I pulled, um, and it says the black population in the United States is predominantly Protestant, with more than forty nine percent identifying as Baptist. <clears throat> Excuse me. It said that today, today most Black adults rely on prayer to help make major decisions and view opposing, you know, uh, racism and essential to their religious beliefs. But most of them do not attend integrated churches. A lot of them keep themselves segregated and prefer to attend predominantly Black churches. Um, So I just wanted to give that bit of information. And then um, I'd just like to start off by saying, let's talk about religion in the black community and what comes to mind when the topic is presented to you. Um, let's start with um, let's start with Elliot. Oh man, well, um, for me, 
I've always struggled um, with religion. I've struggled with the, you know, have my own sense of what God is or isn't or what what God is intending for my life. Or I've always struggled with that because of you know the things I've seen within it, things that questions that you know. One time, my grandmother said, you know, God. He's going to make you so smart that you're going to want to, you know, ask ask questions that even, you know, kind of challenge the notion of his existence. That's how smart and powerful that he's going to make you. But in doing that, it's just you, you have questions. You have things that, you know, where you're like, you know what, I don't, you know, who who wrote the Bible? Did they did they like people that look like me? The people in charge are the things that I'm now basing my whole life and principles off of, you know. So that combined with inner city street stuff that I saw, people dying, little babies, and then people trying to rationalize it by saying, oh, well, God has a plan. I always found that to be very, you know, infuriating, you know, that... You would say that a little girl, a boy getting thrown into trash, you know, by a, a scared teenager, somehow that was a part of God's plan. Or or you would say, well, God had nothing to do with that, but God had something to do with this. It always created that, that sense of, you know, this is a little bit, feels like BS to me, you know. So it's something I've definitely struggled with um, for a large part. My, but I've always respected those who... They hold those tenets and principles close to them because everybody has things that have to get them through each day, things that help their life, things that help how they're able to function. You know, so I definitely wouldn't say that my mode of, you know, thinking on it should be everybody else's because I understand that, you know, and I learned that because my grandmother, she was heavily devout in the church and she's somebody I greatly respect, you know, and she's seen a lot in her life and maybe that belief system allows her, you know, to function and be the person that she wants to be. So I mean, it's always been hard for that reason. Okay. Um, Minister Harris. Yeah. Um, there's, oh, wow. Where to start? Um, what comes <laughs> to mind when I think of black religion? Um, first of all, I think it's really important to note that, um, well, I'll start off by telling you a little bit about like what I'm going to Temple to study. Uh, the discipline is called Africology. And the fundamental assumption of the discipline is that if we are going to have any real conversations about um, African-American experience in the United States, we probably will get the best understanding of that uh, by rooting our existence within the history and the culture of ancient African civilizations. Um, putting that plainly, it's we need to make a concerted effort to what black people are doing in America today, understand that as a continuation of what black people have been doing on the continent for thousands of years. And in spite of everything that we've experienced, particularly um, the Maafa, right? The chattel slavery. Um, in the Western Hemisphere, in spite of all of those things, I think it's what's been true for thousands of years is that African descended people are deeply spiritually inclined. 
Um, and that, you know, that's something that's been continuous in our um, ancestral lines for thousands of years. Okay. And it's black, when it comes to black church, it's like we really need to take into account historically that that's been one of the few institutions that we've had control and agency within. Right. So it, it makes sense that it's central to what African-American culture is, what black culture is. Right. It's like um, our literary traditions, our um, oratorical traditions, like many e educational facilities. Right. And musical instrumentation and ideas are all rooted in black church. And that's not by coincidence. I, I think it's we're deeply spiritual people. And also that's one of the few places where we could, even in an imperfect way, which we can get to a lot of the uh, cons of black religion within our community. Um, it's been one of the places where we can exist on our own terms. Now, part of the problem is that within the context of Western slavery, within the context of, you know, like dealing with a society dominated by white whiteness and patriarchy, even when we are by ourselves, we can allow some of those same <laughs> white religious standards to govern and dictate how we operate amongst each other. And frankly, I feel like um, what trying to understand the black religious faith, especially myself being a Baptist minister, right? Trying to understand these experiences through the lens of Africology, it's, it's opening a door for us to try to authentically practice our faith in exist in our religious spaces on our own terms. So would you say that you feel that um, we tend to stray away from intermingling with um, predominantly white churches because of or just our history in general? Like, um, we have maybe trust issues when it comes to maybe religion being used as a form of control. Uh, just we have a history of oppression enforced and upheld by quote unquote religion. In yeah. The country. Yeah. One hundred percent. So it's and I mean, if I'm going to be completely honest with y'all, it's like how, how, how frank can, how transparent can I be on this platform? You can be one hundred percent transparent. Okay, so uh, the truth of the matter is, um, wait, but wait a minute, we do we yeah. do say uh, recognize that this is a public platform. Yeah, and make sure that whatever you say, that you're okay with, you know, it being out there. So. Sure, okay. no problem. All right, so the truth of the matter is, um, even in my ministerial scope, I probably turn down more opportunities to preach than I accept, and part of that is because. Um, a lot of pulpits and a lot of churches really don't want to confront soberly the reality that Christianity and the Christian project was at the heart of our enslavement. There's no getting around that. Like th that, that's. Uh oh. And it's like it, and well, the, the way some historians and some scholars talk about it, it, it I don't, like the, the deeper you look into these things, there's points where it's, difficult if not impossible to separate the christianity from the white colonization they're that deeply intertwined and because that's a fact we as african as black people it, anytime 
all of us that identify as Christians, it does present a unique problem for our African and black identity. Now, how we choose to deal with that problem, um, I think creates a lot of interesting conversation and frankly variety within black religious experience. Mm. And we should learn to celebrate those differences, right? Um, and lean into community with it. But it's like, we can't deny that it's a problem. Minister Harris. Yes, sir. Um, you you want you want down that road, um, <laughs> and 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 I and I and I say that um, you want down that road with all due respect, and I'm glad you did go down that road. Oh, most um, definitely, brother. Coming from a background like myself, that um, half of my family were weren't quote unquote religious. The other the other half half was very religious. I always tell people that my grandmother was somebody that I believed lived the Bible from cover to cover. Um, but I, I personally have a different religion. But I, but I am a person that loves history um, and understands the African-American plight in this country and what has happened since slavery and, and, and so forth and so on. And, and the integral part that religion played, like you discussed, with our enslavement, and our freedom. Um, the people, you know, our, our ancestors were very quote unquote religious who quote unquote freed us um and fought for our freedom. Do you think, and, and I don't want to go too forward in the in the discussion, do you think that is the oxymoron, so to say, that a lot of people have with the establishment of the church now? Where, like you said, when you look at the history, yeah, I want to go to church. I want to believe in, 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 in the principles of church or, or, or quote-unquote organized religion. But hold up. This stuff was used to enslave us. And then on the other hand, when you look, it was another side to it where the people were very spiritual. They were religious. Um, the Methodist church was influential with... Um, the ministers of defense going all the way back to them, if you know the history of them and what they did, they were people of the church, but they wasn't quote unquote for the BS. Do what do you think is going on with the younger people and why they're not as into organized religion as maybe we were as kids? Yeah, that that's an excellent question. That's an excellent question, brother. So um here's how to say. Oh. Uh, I'm going to try to root our present day experiences within um, classical African civilizations, right? So I think from the very bedrock of human civilization, right? Um, the whole purpose of religion was to first and primarily live in unison, live in harmony with nature. And then after that, uh, live in harmony with other people, um, starting primarily with your family and your ancestors, right? That was the primary function of religion. And it functioned as not a offshoot of the rest of society or not something that, you know, put on the side. It was at the center of everything that was done. It was, you know, the bedrock of civilization, right? Um, I think younger millennials nowadays 
are frustrated when um, black church institutions are not fulfilling those foundational aspects of what faith is, right? Um, empowering us to live in harmony with nature and then again with each other, starting with our ancestral line. Black church has traditionally done these things, right? Like these are the, you know, best elements of it. This is the liberationist movements, right? This is um, <laughs> Nat Turner. This is Harriet Tubman. Um, this is obviously Martin Luther King Jr., right? The, all of these freedom movements that emerge from a very deep, profoundly Christian consciousness, right? Um, but at the same time, I think a, because whiteness, the colonization, the racism is so pervasive in our society, and it's like it literally impacts everything that we do and how we live. Oftentimes, even when we are fighting and clawing for our freedom, we're doing it on the terms of white culture mm. and white religion and white Christianity. It's like, even if it's we're doing it in opposition of those things, it's still something, again, that we have to deal with um, soberly. And I think young people, we're just, we're tired of... Um, yeah, acquiescing that BS, frankly. Um, I, I think, yeah, like, you know, let's call it what it is. Um, one of the easiest examples I like to point to is, and, and like, th these are some of the things that get me in trouble, right? Like, people don't invite me to their churches to preach. So it's Well, well at least that you, you have that in common with Dr. King then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um but it's like, I, I really try to make a commitment where mainline Protestant Christianity, which is a, a white Christianity, typically encourages Christians to interpret their entire worldview through the lens of the Bible. That doesn't work for me. And what I try to do is interpret everything through the freedom of African people, including the Bible, right? So, and it's like that when there's certain things in the Bible that are antithetical to black people's freedom of expression, that's a problem for me. Um, I'll give you a, a low-hanging fruit example, again, that, that often gets me in trouble, and this is why I ask about transparency in the platform, but it's, these are the things that um, certain topics of that are taboo in Christianity that lead to um, real live issues with families, like the, the sexuality politics um, that are often dictated to us in Christian spaces and very dogmatic, dismissive um, ways that aren't celebration of difference, right? So how does it go? There are several passages in the Bible where it's suggested that the Bible is clear and um, unquestionably telling us that people should not be having sex before marriage. Now, a lot of times, and this is like the example that I'm going to use, so that's a problem, right? Because it's like, these are one of the contradictions we see in black church, right? Whereas we're preaching one thing and practicing another. Right. Because um, it's like we're, we're telling everyone not to have sex, but it seems like, yo, everyone's doing it. Right. So basically hypocritical. Absolutely. 
and and that, and see those are the things it's like younger people are calling out the hypocrisy of the church and not dealing with it right so it's like we we got to find creative ways uh, to confront these issues in a real way so a lot of times and this is my example about like what it looks like for us to even try to get free from these constraints on white terms a lot of times we end up debating well does the bible actually say this thing or looking into the translations and there have been a lot of scholarship done to suggest that like there's not even a word for marriage the way we really understand it in the 21st century in scripture right because again these were books that were written thousands of years ago by people in a different cultural context right and like frankly like there was no such thing as english when these things were written right so there's gonna there's there's certain problems there right and again, so get, I think so it gets lost in the translation. Exactly. Sure. My point is that like it, th these are interesting conversations and make you know fun things to talk about. But as the African person, um like I have to interpret these things in light of our freedom. Mm -hmm. And it's like the more and more I study about our culture and our histories prior to colonization, frankly. How do I want to put this? There was not as strong as the emphasis of focusing on who's sleeping with who as an ethical issue, as a religious issue. It, it seemed like this was a non-issue um, for most African cultures, especially who's having sex with who before the institution of marriage, right? Because institution of marriage, there, there were things like that um, on the continent prior to colonization, right? So it's just like, what do I mean by us fighting for freedom on European terms? The taboo of who's having sex with who before marriage was an issue in European cultures, in European societies. Um, and that, that kind of got imposed on African consciousness as a result of the chattel slavery. So I think a lot of times, like when we are still utilizing things like this to point out who's more christian than who and who's more holy than who um frankly we end up having a lot of senseless debates well, uh, that doesn't keep our freedom at the forefront of our church agenda okay well i'm going to say this um when you think about things and you think about just the colonization and everything i mean that whole basis of everything was on money, power, and respect. Now, well, not even respect, because I mean, there were some some unethical things, plenty of unethical things that were going on. I mean, you have family members killing family members, uh, you know, a lot of incestuous relationships, etc. Um, basically, to to maintain power and control and monies. So, um, I feel like when all of those things come into play. How can you tell anyone how to live their life? Not to mention the fact that um, the Catholic Church pretty much ran everything um, in Europe and especially in the um, in Great Britain until basically it went against, uh, what was it, King Henry VIII's um, lifestyle, you know, because he, did, he no longer wanted to be married. So, you know, I, uh, I feel like... So, uh, religion in certain instances are is uh it's convenient for people yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So they lean on it when it's convenient Absolutely. for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, definitely when it's convenient because the, the walk that you have to embark on to really uh, to do things in accordance with the, the principles and tenets of it, that's not a journey that a lot of people are willing to take and sacrifices that come with that is not something that a lot of people are willing to engage in every single day of every single week of every single month and year of their lives, you know, um, then you get into like the repentance part of it. You know, how many times can I, you know, go, go about, you know, my daily routine, you know, doing things in complete opposition with the principles of what the Bible is trying to teach me and then coming back and saying, you know, please forgive me for it. You know, and that, and that's when I stopped uh, going to church. I, we talked about this a little bit before we came into the uh, into the program, you know. But I always felt like growing up. I mean, based on who your family is, and, and whether they're into it or not, you, you might get bullied into it from a young age. So you know, your mind and, and, and things that should come naturally to you, as far as your belief patterns and systems are being molded for uh, for you. You're being conditioned in that way from the time that you're, you know, maybe four or five years old. You know, you're being good. You're going, you're coming to church with me. You're, you're going to do, you know, like, and I don't feel like that's something that should ever be. That's, that's a walk that, you know, obviously you want to mold your kids in the way that, in the ways that you have been molded typically, you know, cause you think that that's what's best, but what if it isn't, you know, and what if you just have a zombie, you know, of a kid growing into a zombie of a teenager and a zombie of an adult for going through years of being somewhere where they're not getting anything out of it and they're living in total opposition to it because it's just it's, cause it's antiquated to them. You know, and that's okay, why... Well, Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. But no, that's fine. I'm, I'm going to say this. So, um... I think we're all around the same age range. Um, Minister Harris, I think you might be a little younger than the rest of us. Okay. How, how, but not that much younger. <laughs> However, I feel like, um, but I know that you have brothers and sisters who are close to my age, so your parents are the same age <laughs> as, you know, um, some of our parents. So my right, thing right. is, you know, I, I feel like we were raised and we grew up in a time where, you know, like it was like, you know, my rules. This is these are my rules. You live in my house mm -hmm. and you do what I say. So, um, prime example, I went to Catholic school my entire life from kindergarten until the end of the tenth grade. And then from 11th grade, for 11th grade and 12th grade, I went to public school. It was like culture shock for me. Mm -hmm. Totally different, no, you know, no structure. And I basically had to um, have discipline myself in order for me to finish school and get out of school because it was, you know, just a free for all. That's one. Two, I've always been very curious when it came to different religions. So I've always had friends uh, that were, you know, different religions, whether it was Jehovah's Witnesses, whether it was friends that were Muslim. I always, like, I was like a sponge. I always wanted to know, so what's different about, you know, your, your beliefs? Let's, let's talk or whatever. You know, oh, I want to go to your church service or whatever. I uh, 
wound up marrying a Muslim man. Um, and, you know, I, I've just always been very curious. I love the fact that my mom always allowed me to find things out. I, I mean, of course, she gave me guidance. But if I was interested in something, she would be like, oh, okay, well, you can go to that church service. You can see if you like it or what have you. So I always had the option to choose what I was interested in when it came to religion and activity. She always, you know, encouraged whatever, you know, you were interested in or whatever. Like, you know, she would, she supported it. Um, yeah. But as an adult, I consider myself a Christian, but I don't go to church often. Um, I have a issue with, I believe in God. I pray to God every day. I also feel like your relationship with God is personal. I shouldn't have to share my relationship with God with anyone else. And I shouldn't have to um, worry about anyone criticizing my relationship with God. Because to me, you're human just like I am. So how can you tell me how God is going to, you know, um, favor me or unfavor me? Yeah, no, that that's powerful. So uh, uh, a few things, it's like, and again, these are the things that get me not invited to churches, but e even as a licensed minister on track to be ordained, I absolutely agree with not forcing kid. like, you can't force a kid to believe in something because two things typically happen. They either become religious fanatics or they completely reject religion in general and look for, again, us being African people, culturally very spiritual people. in other places right so yeah i don't I, I don't have children yet but it's like i don't believe that um even christian people should be forcing their kids to be christians i i don't think we should be doing things like that especially cognizant of that like how deeply entwined the christian faith is with european colonization it's like we, we need to break that cycle somewhere and I part of that is probably, yeah, empowering our children to come to their own unique understandings of divinity on their own terms. Another thing I will say is that, um, and it's, you know, because I, I make a living being a, <laughs> a critic of Christianity, but it's Christianity does get rightfully criticized as being a colonizer religion because again we spoke it's deeply entwined with european colonization i think as african people it's also important to point out that islam is also not a religion that's indigenous to the continent it's not islam was brought to the continent by arab jihadists that were trying to conquer and colonize and enslave our people as well so it's like a lot of the similar criticisms that we make of christianity Islam has traditionally imposed its culture and its history on black people as well. And that criticism often gets lost because we're in a Eurocentric dominated society. Um, but I, again, I think we're, we're, we're always going to have these problems or these disconnects with religious traditions that aren't indigenous, indigenously African. Because I think the problem is that I do believe that religion is meant to be practiced in community. I think the problem is that when it's practiced by in black people in a Eurocentric or even a Arab centric context, we have 
people that are not indigenous of our culture telling us how to interact with not only just the divine, but with each other. And it does continue to present problems. And yeah, we need to break those cycles somewhere. I think that's a very that's a a very interesting and true uh, assessment um, for somebody that is Muslim that does understand what what goes on in the Islamic community. You definitely uh, from somebody that's not Muslim, you definitely spoke truth to that. And this is the problem that I um, that I see is that when we do speak up about our liberation and we always want allies. Those allies tend to turn their back when we want liberation for African people. But when everything else is status quo, we got all these friends. And you and you see it, and it's like, for us, we're, I, let's just say we're the second generation after civil rights. Our kids ain't having it. The next generation... This is, in my opinion, this is why they don't believe in organized religion because they're like, you know what? Y'all done did it. Our grandparents done did it. We ain't following y'all. We have, we'll believe. We believe in God and so forth and so on. But you know what? We continue to keep bumping our head. We're like the rat in the maze. We continue chasing cheese that they just not giving us and we're still in the maze in a box and Historically, what they believe in and what they read is it's been the religion that has confined us that why are we continuously being in this maze. Yeah. Um also there's just something that I that I noticed, a couple of things. One, I um I always thought about, you know, and being that, you know, I was brought up, you know, in Christianity with that being, you know, what I was taught to follow. What I, what I peep early on is like, you know, even the things in the commandments, the command is the commandments saying, you know, thou shall not steal, thou shall not kill. Then race is inevitably a part of that, you know, because if I'm growing up in an environment where survival hinges on doing things totally against what the, the tenets of the Bible is, then maybe that Bible isn't for me. And I, and I thought about that, like, almost immediately. Like, hey, you know, I'm put in a position to have to steal a loaf of bread out the store. And so are a lot of kids like me. Am I going to go to hell for that? You know, if somebody, if I'm in an environment and in order not to be killed, I have to kill. You know, am I, am, am, and the person that never, ever had to be confronted with having to make those kind of choices, you know, do they get to heaven? But never knowing what would it have been like to be in a moment like that where you had to go totally against it, but because of who you are and the color of your skin, that's an everyday, you know, travail for you. You know, yeah. and that's something that always, like, and I think a lot of kids now feel like, listen, it, they, a lot of us live in summation, especially young people. If everything is quick, fast, it's like if I got to sit in church for two hours, and the and the and what what they believe the gist of them sitting there is, is to be told that this is what makes me a good person. At the end of it all, this I'm teaching you. This is what you have to do to be a good person. And their mind is like, okay, I'll treat my brother kind. I'll do right by my family. You know, I won't cheat on my wife. Then why do I have to go sit in church for that 
every single week to be given the same kind of, you know, at the end of the day, it all leads back to the same well of this is what you need to do to be a good person. <laughs> you know, and I think the younger generation is like, I don't got to waste that much time to get to that to that summary. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just, that's just my take on it. Yeah. Hey, Minister Harris, let me ask, let me ask you a question. Please, um, please. You know, uh, how 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 would you advise someone to take that experience that Elliot is speaking about with going to uh, a church, a masjid, or whatever, and being able to listen to what they're told to do, but their reality is is like you just said, living. In the guys and under the, the of the white supremacy, the, yeah, they they have to live with being beat upside the head, worrying about getting pulled over, yeah, when they're driving, yeah. And we're not gonna. I don't want to question what no. faith is and what scale a person's faith should be, but the reality is is that, yeah, I was at church and a master listen to all this stuff, but my reality is is I have to go to work every day, and listen to Mister Charlie dog me out use overt racism to treat me any kind of way, subjugated to the continuously white supremacy. At a certain point, a person is going to break. How would you uh, explain how a person should be able to deal with that? Yeah, so the first thing I'll say is, um, again, this is another one of these things that people don't like me talking about in church. We have a major problem in black church, and as plainly as I can put it is, we worship the Bible more than we worship God. Mm. Um, And when we do that, like, it's very important to understand, like the brother was pointing out, the Bible was not written by black African people. And frankly, it was not written for black African people. Um, And frankly, again, I know it's, that, that applies to the Quran as well, but I, I'm an expert on Christianity, so that's typically, I try to keep my commentary to things that I'm informed about, right? And so it's like, it, that, that, prevents, that presents a problem for us. Um, so a lot of times what ends up happening is it's these biblical mandates, right? Our commitment to understand everything about our lives in relation to a book that wasn't written for and by us is going to create those type of problems, right? So again, true to the discipline, let's try to understand our experience through classical African civilizations, right? Um, there's this myth, because you mentioned the, the Ten Commandments. Um, a lot of Africanologist scholars are arguing rather convincingly <coughs> that um, the Ten Commandments and other really identifiable elements of the Bible have historic roots in what's known as what the Europeans called the Book of the Dead, um, but which is probably more better translated as the Book of the Coming Forth into the Light or the Book of the Coming Forth into Day. And they were instructions that um, Egyptian priests or comedic priests left in the temples and the pyramids for their pharaohs to cross over into the afterlife, right? Um, and it was based off of the deity Ma'at, which is like the oldest ethical principle in human culture, right? Based on harmony, 
um, based on reciprocity, right? Based on living in unison and balance um, with nature and with each other. And I think particularly when you're considering um, black people growing up in the ghettos that white society created, right? A lot of times our life circumstances put us in compromising ethical positions where we have to do, say, and oftentimes even believe things in order for us to survive, right? Like that that's a part of the struggle, right? Uh, what Ma'at says, what the book of the coming forth into the light said was, after someone has expired on earth, the, their heart is weighed uh, on a scale next to the feather. And if your good outweighs your bad, you cross over into the afterlife, right? And, and again, I think um, making this commitment to not only just interpret our lives, but especially in the case of black Christians, right? Interpreting the Bible through these ancient African contexts, right? It opens up the pathway. Yeah, we, we know like sometimes, yeah, like life has dealt us not the best hand of cards and it often compromise like we again we have to get our hands dirty the, okay. i think the beauty in life is as long as the sun rises again right and that's uh, <laughs> another thing the africologists would tell us is that trinitarian theology is based on um the solar rotation in the day as long as the sun resurrects each day we have an opportunity to make sure that our good outweighs our bad make it right i know that's right yeah i think that um it, it, taking in that context of uh having that that little bit of belief um will definitely help somebody to be able to understand how to maneuver my my biggest thing in um and this is why we see that the subject of religion is so um complex to talk about yeah. is because and I always go back to Mal the Malcolm and Martin thing and how Malcolm was towards the end of his life and how Martin was towards the end of his life. Yeah. yeah. And they and some of the things that they never talk about is Malcolm was about to get change his approach. And, and Martin basically the last two years, those of us that know, his approach was like, I'm tired. It's time to kick up. Um not only not only from the rhetoric standpoint, but from the standpoint of basically coming off as asking our oppressor, our oppressor for freedom, justice, and equality. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask, let me ask you, Mr. Harris, uh, Mr. Harris, right? Minister Harris, right? <laughs> I'm going to say Mr. Harris. I'm Listen, gonna give don't worry his, about the his title respect, Minister Harris, right? Um, how are you when you when you I'm quite sure you do a lot of one-on-one -on -one counseling when you when you're dealing with a younger uh as I would say vanguard group of people say if you got the spirit you see the spirit they come around you and you like yo if I don't say the right things to them what I say can be taken out of context and they may have that spirit to be like they're tired how do you deal with that um, I mean, frankly, as a person that uses my words for a living, taken out of context comes with the territory. 
Um, so Frank, honestly, I try not to worry about that too much. Um, my, my primary focus anytime, especially I'm serving in a ministerial capacity, it's the prayer is also like the, 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 what keeps me grounded, what keeps me balanced is always keeping it on my heart, soul and mind. It's, uh, what words are necessary for our people to get free right here in this moment right now. Um, and it's like, you know, committing to that, um, I think helps me uh, navigate sometimes difficult spaces where even if I'm not necessarily concerned about it, I'm aware that, oh yeah, certain something can be taken out of context here, right? Uh, so it's frankly using my words very carefully in any space, right? And I, I know you you mentioned on, uh, you mentioned you listen to my podcast, right? Uh, so uh, like, for example, like I deliberately um, use explicit language on my podcast okay. in relation to <laughs> deeply profound religious topics and themes with the intent of shattering the, this false bifurcation between what the West calls what's sacred and what's secular, right? Because it's mm. like that division, frankly, does not exist in traditional African cultures and societies. It doesn't. Yeah. So, like, yeah, there's a concerted effort to challenge the status quo by deliberately bringing together what most church people are going to call the sacred and the profane. Exactly, which right? boils down to control. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, and, so, and it's, it's things like that. Like, these are the things that I think about in the space. It's always be familiar about who your audience is. Um, but at the same time, the priority is getting free, um, with young people that it's ready, they ready to go up. It, like what I try to remind them is self-defense, especially cause you mentioned Malcolm, right? It's self-defense and violence are not the same thing. And if we, you know, in a lot of, you know, black Christian spaces, we discuss these themes interchangeably and it's frankly sloppy. It, it, it's, I'm, I'm short of calling it ignorant, honestly. Um, and it's like, I'm all for black people defending themselves by any means necessary. And that's absolutely the Malcolm influence on me, right? Uh, and ser- it's by any means necessary because again, it's the, the whole part of our faith. Again, live in harmony and unison with nature. Live in harmony with other humans, starting with our own family and our ancestral line. Right? It's if you're not making it back to your home every single day, the faith is dead. Right? And it's yeah. like any faith that doesn't empower you to make it back home to your your your, your tribe your clan your family every day that's a dead faith we ain't got time for it so yes defend ourselves by any means necessary that is not a preemptive guerrilla style revolution <laughs> against the most financed most technologically advanced and most expansive military force the world has ever seen and it's like as black people, seriously, it, it just I, it is not a realistic goal 
to overthrow the American empire with the armed like their guns are bigger than ours. I I think that uh, most people, um, for lack of better words, don't realize that that white supremacy is just not a catchphrase. Mm-hmm. It is something that is so quote unquote powerful that, like you said, there's systems in place. There's things like it's it's all types of stuff going on. We ain't even gonna get into the military. We just talking about Bro. being able yeah. to control your mind and your thought process and how you are in a battle, just having that fear of not being able to say, go to work, go to shopping mall, whatever, being able to take care of my family. But as a black a person, a black person in this country, the thought, the back of your head, the thought is I may not make it home safely. That is the effects of white supremacy. Yeah. And, Cause you know what it can, it can do to you if yeah. you're not aware. Yeah. And again, it's like that fear, I think in a real way, and we often, we don't deal with this enough in black religion. It, that, that The very real fear, I think the thing that we should be most afraid of, again, the, the goal of the faith is to live in harmony with nature, right? The fact that the American military basically has the entire world at hostage, at gunpoint, at any second, with the threat of annihilating all human life on earth with this nuclear arsenal. It's like, that's the world um, we've been, the Western world has been, and the entire world has been living in um, since the end of World War II, right? Like that's a very real thing. And it presents a very real theological problem for us in black church spaces, for sure. Melodic? I'm just like, woo, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, okay, so here's another thing I'd like to bring up. And I mean, this is definitely a, a, a taboo topic as well. So um, you did touch on the fact that um, organized religion is a patriarchal society. You know, it's definitely patriarchal. That's very Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then the next topic I would like to move on to is the the money yeah how a lot of um institutions focus mainly on money and tithes um and those building funds but yeah. the building never gets fixed um let's talk about it yeah yeah so um again this is a real thing that we got to deal with economically right it's let's start with the patriarchy okay um Again, let's try to root our present day experience and the history of African cultures and civilizations for thousands of years. What these Africologists are telling us, um, prior to colonization, most of the African continent, if not all of the African continent, were deeply entrenched in a culture of what we call African matriarchy, right? It's tracking your ancestral lineage, your cultural heritage, primarily through your mother and your mother's ancestral line, right? And what that looked like for us in a religious faith, in a religious context is your mother's family deities, their their totem pole, the deification of their ancestors, that's what um, was primary, your primary identity marker, if you will, right? That got changed when 
our civilization start interacting with um, European cultures and frankly, Arab cultures as well, that was more patriarchal. And what they're really saying is the first, if you wanna say there is a such thing as an original sin of these non-African cultures, it was the defilement and the debasement of their women. And this ordering of a hierarchy of making it seem that men have to dominate women, right? Um, and it seems like all other forms of impression, you know, dissolve from that, including um, racism eventually, right? And also the classism and the economic exploitation. And a lot of times, yeah, that the church is at the center of that, um, particularly when we're talking about uh, black churches and uh ghetto communities right it's like you got i don't it, it's we can point to multiple examples of um pastors just flat out exploiting their congregation for their own financial gain yeah. and it's like things like that I, like i think it's obvious that things like that are unacceptable right right um Again, this is not me telling you not to take care of your pastors. This is not saying that we, we shouldn't take care of our clergy because we have to, absolutely should. These are customs that we've been practicing on the continent for thousands of years. Um, Frank, like the priest, the priestly class typically did not want for anything. Because it was like the communities took care of them and they, we took care of each other, right? That's a completely different standard of the economic exploitation. It's like I mean, the most extreme examples we can point to: the Clefro dollars getting sixty-five million dollar jets and things along that nature. Right. Um, but I think even the the more common examples where we see, you know, pastors making well into six figures in congregations where people are struggling to feed themselves on a Absolutely. daily basis. It's like Absolutely. we got a problem here. We got a problem here. And again, this is not me saying that, um, you know, clergy for putting in the work that they have should it be properly compensated for their gifts and their talents and the services, a very necessary service I think were provided for our communities. And at the same time, the, the goal of the faith should not be the acquisition of black bourgeoisie wealth and definitely not perpetuating black bourgeoisie religious values on our people and imposing it as that's what we all should be aspiring to. Because um, like what ends up happening is we end up preaching sermons like, oh, if you're not balling, there's something wrong with your faith journey or there's something wrong with the way you're praying or the way you're living. Um, as as if, you know, like the, the truth of the matter is like poverty is socially engineered at this point, especially for black people in this country. Right. So it's our clergy have a higher standard of not only just speaking out against these things, making damn sure well that we're not participating in the economic exploitation of our people. Like that's a no, no, that's, that's blasphemy. That's sacrilege in the highest order. And we should call it as such whenever we encounter it. And if you see things going on like that, where, frankly you you're getting the vibe like because like yeah the building front is a big one right like we, <laughs> stop paying the, you know, like no no it's, it's real it's real like these are things that we experience you know Man, as stop it black culture right like if if that if that's the way they're giving it up 
stop paying tithes to places like that. Oh. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh. Agreed. I like, will say attending. this. I will say this. So um, just to touch back on patriarchy. Um, when Q and I actually had the conversation to um, bring this topic to the forefront, um, it was definitely, um, there were definitely a lot of different examples that we gave. And um, I did tell him, I said, um, there was a, a particular church, I won't say which one, but um, I will say that it was um, a Pentecostal church. And um, there was a conversation that I had with someone about um, silencing in the church of um, female church members who were promiscuous or, or who were fornicating. And basically the proof was, let's say the female got pregnant and she was silenced. Um, and, and there had been several instances about, um, several instances that happened like that. But the father, fathers were male church members and they were not. So basically the women were separated from the rest of the group. They couldn't sit with the rest of the church members, but the males were still able to participate in activities and stuff like that. And I was just like, oh my goodness, that just goes against everything. I don't know. Uh, to me, morally, ethically, just being a, a, a female, because my thing is, how are you so, you know, how, how are you so punitive towards your, your, the females in the church? But what, what, what about the guy? Weren't, didn't they both commit a sin? Well, and again, Nikki, that's cut you. But uh, it, it see, these are the things that we really have to understand as African people about non-African religious traditions. Right. It's baked into the faith to be anti-woman right. and anti-black. Like the, there's these like the, the concept of original sin and the, uh, the easiest place to point to right is the Adam and Eve story right where it's right. humanity gets plunged into sin because woman sexually deceived man right and it's like when we're dealing in a black church context where again we worship the Bible more than we worship God a lot of times right like what does it say when people are taking stories like that literally? Right. Like you will really internalize that women are treacherous snakes that, if not dominated, will deceive righteous men away from the will of God. It's like like the, pe like people pre preach these things and teach them to our daughters. Right. About themselves. Yep. It's like, exactly. So then, yeah, we put those things into practice with like the example that you just mapped out. And again, we got to understand, like. As African people, what sustained our cultures and our civilizations for thousands of years was a deep religious commitment to matriarchy. So it's like, yeah, these practices where we are essentially defiling our women is antithetical to who we are as a people. It absolutely, it, it is kind of like, what are these things where, um, <laughs> I, I, it, if, if, if we like just try to take ourselves and think beyond a Western context, like it, it makes sense 
you, you know, to venerate women, right? Like it's, if the whole aspect is to live in harmony with humanity, it like venerate the child bearers, right? Like don't defile the, like again, basic, simple. <laughs> Right. But again, it, it, it when we are committed to faith traditions and we uncrit and we don't analyze those aspects of the faith traditions that are anti-women and anti-black, we end up doing things that are not only just against our self-interest in the here and now, it defiles our cultural and our ancestral heritage. It, it reminds me of when Corey Holcomb always say, How dumb can you absolutely be? <laughs> I mean, I listen, I didn't well, you said it, not me. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're right on on one hand, um, you know, if, if you do believe in this patriarchy way of thinking, which is really the European way of thinking, yeah. as you keep trying to explain to us, you you're really gonna lead to your demise. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, interesting perspective. For sure, for sure. Yeah. This has definitely been in interesting conversation um i i in all honesty i think that um just some of the beliefs uh some of the hypocrisy uh the stories about um you know financial like uh deception within the church i definitely think that that keeps a lot of people away um Honestly, I, I feel like a, a church is a is a building. It's a, a a building where you go to praise. But I feel like to me, nothing is more important than God. Um, and you can praise God anywhere. Yeah, that's another. I never got into like denominations or trying to. To me, my attitude was always try to be the best person you can be. Try to be the best man Absolutely. that you can be. Treat people well. I would imagine, you know, that that's, you know, whatever variation of God you believe in, that that's what they would want. Right. If, you know, if there's a direct line of communication to you, you know, hey, go out here, do right by your family, do right by yourself, do right by your community, leave your community better off than what it was when you got there. That's God. I Absolutely. feel like I think we we play down our power a lot as if our hands don't mold the soil, don't build buildings, don't make beautiful sheet music, you know, don't make beautiful architecture, don't paint, you know, Sistine Chapel walls. Don't, you know, like, there's a lot of God in us. Absolutely. We play down our power. Well, I, I, I look at it like this. I feel like God will give you what you need, right? But... I feel like when you don't use what God gives you to sustain the things that you need and make life better for yourself and everyone else, then to me, that to, to me, that's misusing the things that he, he's giving you. I actually had someone tell me, and um, this person to me was like a, a religious fanatic, like, and um, they said, um, I said, so what do, you, what do you do to further your goals, you know what I mean, in life? Like, what type of plans do you make, et cetera? And the person said, well, God is going to make everything work out for me. And I'm like, I, I agree, but what are you doing to help that happen, you know? The person was like, well, no, I just pray. 
And, yeah. you know, I'm like, okay, well, what about you, like your bills and stuff like that? Like, you have to pay your bills. You have to take care of yourself or whatever. I said, to me, you sound crazy because my thing is we may need paper or wood to burn, you know, in a fire. God gives you the tree, but he also expects you to do the things that you need to do to make these things happen and make life sustainable. I'm, I'm not mm -hmm. understanding that. God is mm -hmm. not going to just say, here's a million dollars. Have a great life. Like, it's you sound like crazy to me. Yeah. yeah, it's like so, the whole yeah. adage. Oh, sorry, brother. I'm sorry. Um, like if I'm drowning in the water, you know, three boats come marching up one at a time, and I disregard them saying, you know what, I don't need to get on that boat. God will save me. You know, and then I end up drowning, right? I'm in heaven, if that's where I made it. And I asked God, I said, God, I waited for you to come save me. And I he's gonna turn around and say, What? I sent you three, you three boats. boats. Hello. Hello. <laughs> like, Hello. You know, like it's, I mean, but I think a lot of that too is the, the mentality of heaven and, and, and hell. Like, like this idea of heaven makes it all right for us to not have everything we can possibly have while we're here. Oh, you know what? It's cool. You know, it's cool to be poor. It's cool to live hoof to mouth, you know, and that's, that's the black condition, you know, for many of us thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm going to get my repentance in a place beyond here. And if that's true or not, I will we'll know soon enough, you know. But if it isn't, it's, it's highly disappointing that you lived your whole life, you know, not doing as much as you can because you thought that somebody else, this spirit, this entity was going to do it for you, you know. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I think, um, again, the commitment to Africology, let's try to understand our experience through ancient civilizations, ancient African culture, right? It's one of the oldest theological beliefs of comedic society was that um, Ra, the, the, the first deity to be recorded in history, after Ra was done creating the universe, kind of took a step back and said, y'all got it. Y'all have everything y'all need to live your life and sustain it abundantly. Be free, right? And it's like one of the one of those that that basic theological concept got lost um, as ancient African ideas developed through the Greeks and the Romans, and eventually to the Christians, right? So now it's like one of these ideas that we can't get beyond, which I think is very much a Western idea, is this idea that um, God is in control of every minute aspect in detail of our lives to every millisecond, uh, which almost, yeah, encourages this, that, that, that type of passivity, right? That type of, I, I think the most um, honest way I could put it is, for, especially for black people living in a white and patriarchal dominant society, right? Like this belief that someone is coming from the sky to save us. Right. And, right. and that, that, that presents problems for us. And, and yeah, we, we, we got to deal with them, um, I think, creatively. And I think we got to deal with them in community in order think, to really be free. I'm going to ask you, uh, Mr. Harris. Yes, sir. That uh, messiahic way of thinking and for those that do believe that uh it is a messiah coming back but 
you think that's one of the biggest um, problems because nowadays you see it where we've turned opposed to what was going on in the 60s when it wasn't much social media, it wasn't much access to TV. Nowadays, you even see the messiah mentality where blacks look at celebrities that way. You think that's one of our biggest issues? Yeah, so again, it's again, these are the things that get, don't get me invited back to churches, right? But it's the the messianic the complex is a problem for African consciousness. One, because it's like we are a highly communal people, right? And it's like one of these ancient African ethical concepts is the community is more important than the individual. And that that that's antithetical to everything Western, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it's that's a challenge for us, right? It's no, it's not. It's it's one for all, right? One for all, like that that that's the bedrock of who we are as a people, right? So like the messianic idea of changing the faith and the the ancestral lineage and the cultural survival on one person does present a problem for African consciousness, right? And yeah, it's, we, 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 we can't get away from deifying people, right? Like humans have been doing this for years, right? It's like, who are we making and choosing to be our symbols that represent God for us, right? And doing that with celebrities is very dangerous. Well, people do it with your pastor. Let's, well, let's yep, yep, yeah, 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 right. which is why a lot of times you end up having pastors trying to be celebrities. Uh, well, that's a whole different, yeah, <laughs> don't start. Yeah, yeah, I know, um, I know my church, I know my church, my pastor, he ended up becoming a bishop, so he wasn't in that, in that particular church. He moved into another church after he became bishop. The attendance went from every pew being filled to being about 10 people in the church. And it's been like that to this day. Every time I go back, you know, for whatever event that goes on, the entire church seemed like it's, it's empty. And it's, it's a brand new church. He did all the work of rebuilding the church for, you know, the future, whoever was coming in next. And people just, you know, they wanted to see him. It was like, it was more about him than even about them being in yeah. God. I need to hear yeah. him talk about God. You know, like it, it became like a, a popularity contest and everybody left with left and dipped out when he dipped out. It was yeah. crazy. Crazy. Yeah. And I see the thing and one of the ways that I, I, I do try to practice um I well I what I like to tell people is that I'm a minister of black faith first. I'm a Christian minister second. And one of the ways I try to practice Christianity responsibly is the the best elements of Christ in the New Testament is he's constantly diverting attention away from himself and pointing it back towards his father, right? Um, his concrete manifestation of who he understood God to be. Like, let him know, no, this, this ain't about me. It's really not. And even, it, it's more so about the community that I'm going to leave behind because my time here is limited. It's, you know, great, greater works than these will you do, right? Um, and, and it's, 
it's ironic because a lot of times it's like one of the ideas that uh, some great theologians have written about is this idea of Christology, right? Mm. Like making an unholy idol out of Jesus. Right. When it right. seems like he was telling us not to do that. Um, according to scripture, at least, right? And it's, again, like we, we gotta we gotta deal with these things. It's like why 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 do we have the fascination of how do I want to put frankly idolizing non-African symbols and non-African people? because um, it, it does present a problem for us. Mm. Well, I don't I don't know what else to say. Um right. I will say that going forward, I do think that this is the beginning of a bigger discussion that we um will have again and we'll look forward to having again. Yes. Um I think that it will be uh, a part two. A, a series of oh, a series of discussions. Sure. Oh, for like, sure. Um, <laughs> because this 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 is a discussion that you you do want to um for lack of better words get into the consciousness of our people and understanding that as Mr. as minister Harris so eloquent put we are African people first and foremost and if you do live in America in any country abroad, if you're fighting for the true liberation of your people, to go down this rabbit hole, it, 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 it's it's rewarding. It's um, it pulls back a lot of the layers on the myths that a lot of us were 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 given, um, as kids and continue to be given. And why, asking the why question, um, Elliot basically put that uh, that was the question that he was asked at one time, well, why this? You get so much knowledge and you start questioning why this. I think that um, that going down that rabbit hole and understanding and the thirst for knowledge and thirst for information and thirst for rediscovery has always been the, um, the Black American's plight in this country of knowing who we are first and foremost. And this is why even the name changes that we've seen in the last 60 years of our identity why it's so important to us to know who we are. Um, because, and I'm quite sure Minister Harris will correct me, difference from other, why chattel slavery in America was so different than other aspects of slavery throughout the world was the identity um, being stripped was a little different than other cultures. Other yeah. cultures, even though they were in slavery, they still knew who they were. Right. Um, right. Agreed. But I also feel like we do have the tools to learn who we who we came from. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, just it, it it's our responsibility to teach our younger people who they are, who they came from. It's each one teach one. And yes. the knowledge is out there. You just have to seek it. Yeah, I yeah. definitely, definitely agree with that. I mean, for I mean, it's the Carter G. Woodson thing, you know. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You take the mind, so you That's don't it. have to do nothing else. That's it. And to our minds have been perverted to the point where we're arguing about who we are, Amen. African people, with Amen. arguing about it while speaking somebody else's language. Amen. You know, so it. it Elliot, Elliot coming with a haymaker right there. 
and it's, it's on us to teach the youth, you know, a new basis of self-worth and adequacy. What makes you adequate? What makes you acceptable to people? What makes you, you know, valuable? Right. And to take the Europe, you know, the Europeanized, you know, taint off of it, which we were born with. Because our parents and the parents' parents were were indoctrinated with that so that they can function. And, and they think that that's love, keeping us safe by teaching us that. Right. Mm. And we have to right. remodel the mold. Right. Sure. Well, Ooh. any final thoughts, uh, Melodic Storm? Oh, well, my final thought is this was an extremely interesting show. I'm looking forward to the next installment of uh, this topic. Oh, man. Like, I, I think that we peeled the top off uh, a lot of uh, cans tonight. Um, but I think that we probably need to dig a little deeper. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely looking I'm all forward to it. Let me know I'm when. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'd be glad to come back. This was so much fun. This is one of the – I do a lot of podcasts. I do a lot of talks on topics like this. You know, in spaces with people that I'm comfortable in and um, with audience where I think they're going to be open to listen and learn from each other for us to learn and grow and our experiences as African people. So, but this was one of the most enjoyable conversations I've had in a long time. So, I, I thank y'all for having me. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for participating. Um, I appreciate I appreciate you, and I appreciate you being on the show. Um, Elliot, I appreciate you. I, I always appreciate you being on the show. Um, I love the fact that you are so supportive of this podcast. Um, oh, we gotta have these conversations. Right, exactly. We definitely oh. have to have these conversations. I get uh, text messages from Elliot, from um, Treasure all the time about our topics. Like when we put up like um, our ads. They'll be like, oh, that's going to be a good one. Oh, I'm looking forward to that show. So thank you so much. We really, really appreciate the support. Um, I do want to highlight um, your businesses. And um, so, guys, please let our audience know how they can stay in contact with you. Please give your IG handles and your um, podcast, books, or anything of the sort. So please share it with our audience. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, brother. Uh, P O M E, that's P double underscore O double underscore M double underscore E. Uh, on, so on Instagram, my given name, Elliot Fant, E L L I O T T F A N T. On Facebook, um, I have my third collection of poetry finally going to be here. Been a long time coming. You're going to have it here. In November, the World as I See It project, uh, my first two projects, The Execution of Revolution and The Long Way Home on Google Books, Amazon Books. Thank you. Okay. All righty. Okay. So, yeah, my name is uh, Minister Quadri, Q-A-D-R-Y, Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S. You can find me primarily on Instagram at Speak Easy Black Pod. That's Speak S P E A K E, like the letter E, and then Z, and then we are B L K P O D. 
You can also find us under the same handle on Twitter. And as for our podcast, you can uh, look up or search Speak Easy Black Renaissance Podcast. We are available on all major platforms. Right. And, okay, I have a plug here. <laughs> I recently started an event decorating business called Melodic Celebrations. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, check out some of my work. That's um, what's up. <laughs> Hopefully, I can make your next event beautiful. I love to make things beautiful. Um, so check me out as well. With that, actually, <clears throat> we will close out with your promo. Thank you. And before we close, while we close out the show as well, thank you everybody who uh, who joined our broadcast live, and those who will watch in the rebroadcast. Thank our panelists who definitely gave us a very, very unique perspective. It's always um, interesting when we have we talk about topics, and this topic has definitely been interesting. Uh, with that, have a blessed night and stay safe. Peace and Melodic Celebrations, specializing in event decorations. Call us today for a quote so we can make your next event beautiful.